Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 6. We've been in this sermon series on prayer. The first installment of this series, we asked, we tried to answer the question, why pray? The very first thing that we said is that we pray for the glory of God. It's not about us. It's about God's glory. And when we pray, we give God the opportunity and the occasion to display his glory. And so we talked about it. We pray also because we are people who are helpless without Christ. Without Christ, we are able to do nothing. That's what his word says in John chapter 15. In the second installment of this sermon series on prayer, it's called Lord Teach Us to Pray. That's straight out the Bible. That's what one of his disciples asked him. They said, Lord, teach us to pray like John's disciples. And so this is, we, we answered the question in the first installment, why pray? Now we're asking, how do we pray? And so the, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And this installment, as we uh, look at Lord, teach us to pray, what's significant about this part of the series is as we learn how to pray, we're learning straight from the Master. So all the sermons in this installment of this series on prayer will be what Jesus taught his own disciples on prayer. And so we will learn from the master teacher himself in this series. The very first thing that we looked at in this sermon series on prayer, we looked at the preface, our Father in heaven. Then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at three, the first three petitions. And the observation that we made about these first three petitions is that these first three things that are asked of God in this model prayer are all God-oriented petitions. The first petition was, hallowed be your name. And we said that's not an indicative statement. He, that Jesus is not just teaching there that God's name is holy, but the proper rendering of that from the original language is, may your name be kept holy, or let your name be kept holy. H how is God's name kept holy? What we said is, is that God's name is kept holy when the, when the world recognizes that God is the one true and living God. And then they turn to him by faith in the Son of God. We as believers, we keep God's name holy when we live holy lives. When we originally looked at what holiness looks, at, uh, looks like, we went to the book of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, God the Lord says, these people, my people, the people of Israel, have profaned my name. How did they do that? They did that by murdering. He said there was bloodshed. In other words, they didn't value life, the life that I created in my image. So we said one way that we keep God's name holy is by being pro-life and valuing all life, including life in the womb and outside the womb as well. But it's not just life in the womb and outside of the womb, but it's life from the womb to the tomb. So it's all of life that God values. We also keep God's name. He says, you profane my name by bowing down to idols. So idolatry 
profanes the name, which means that the opposite of that is when we forsake idols and idolatry, we keep God's name holy. We we, we revert. We, we, that's how we keep it holy. The second petition in this model of prayer was your kingdom come or let your kingdom come. And what we said about God's kingdom is that God's kingdom is already, but not yet. In other words, God's kingdom is already here because when Jesus first came, he ushered in the eternal kingdom of God. He, Jesus himself's first sermon was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told the Pharisees, the kingdom is in your midst. He was referring to himself. So Jesus ushered in or inaugurated God's program, his kingdom. Matter of fact, we know that Jesus died, was buried, but we also know that he rose on the third day. When Jesus rose, he rose with a resurrected body. That resurrected body is known as the first fruits of the new creation. See, we can, we can celebrate, we can live in hope in knowing that we too will be a part of God's new creation. We too will have resurrected bodies. And so we pray for God's kingdom to come because it's not here yet in all of its fullness. We can just turn on the news and we can tell that God's kingdom it's not already here. There's murder. There's injustice. There's corruption. Everywhere you look, we can see Satan's fingerprints. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan is going full force, and he's putting everything he's got into this kingdom because he wants to destroy God's kingdom. There are two kingdoms at war. But we know that God's kingdom is the real kingdom, and only God's kingdom will last. And we pray for God's kingdom to come in all of its fullness. Because when God's kingdom comes in its fullness, Satan will be done away with for good. There will be no more pain, no more death, no more sickness, no more worry. All will be made right. The third God-oriented petition was thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We said that this is a petition of alignment for our wills to get in line with God's will. But it's also very practical in that God's will is something that is to be done, not discussed, not analyzed. It is to be done. So in the words of Minister Kevin DeYoung, just do something. How is God's word done in heaven? We said it's done perfectly, willingly, and immediately. In the same way, that's how we are to do God's will here on earth. And we also said that this specific petition, as I said earlier, is a prayer of alignment. Prayer is about bringing our will in submission to the will of God. And so now Jesus gives the final three petitions. The first three were God-oriented petitions. These final three are we-oriented petitions. 
And, and, and though these petitions are for us, we will still see that God is still the focus of these petitions. We are simply the beneficiaries. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, this is how Jesus teaches his disciples and us by extension to pray. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This first petition of the we-oriented petition, give us this day our daily bread, is a prayer for provision. This is a prayer for provision. It's, it's a prayer of dependence. And when we look at this prayer of provision, Jesus teaches us, first of all, he says, look at the source. Give us. Who, who, who are we asking to give? It is God that we are asking to give us our daily bread. This prayer acknowledging, acknowledges that God is the source of everything we need, everything we have, and everything we will need. He, he is the creator of all, so only he can provide what we need to survive. James chapter 1 verse 17 teaches us that every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Friends, we can pray this petition because the Father delights in giving to his children. He is a provider by nature and by name. Remember, one of the names given to God we find, we learn in Genesis chapter 22, is that God is Jehovah Jireh. He, he's the God who provides. It is God's nature to provide for his children. God is both a giver by nature and by grace. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 through 11 says this, which one of you? If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Jesus has two points here. First of all, remember your earthly parents, they are evil. No, in other words, they are sinful. They are sinners. And even 
sinners, happy Mother's Day, by the way, give good gifts to their earthly children. So then your father, and he, he quotes again, who is in heaven. Well, why, why does he say that? Because he's contrasting earth and heaven. Earthly, the realm of sin. Heaven untouched by sin. God is holy and righteous. So if your sinful parents can still give good gifts to their children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to you? Now, now, but Jesus says, how much more will he give good things to those who ask him? Jesus went on to teach, ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find not, and it will be open for you. So then we learn in this petition that the Father delights in giving to his children who ask. The other reason we ask our Father in heaven, who is the source for all things, is because he has inexhaustible resources to meet our daily needs. You don't believe me? Here's what the psalmist says. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell, dwell therein. God owns the planet, the people, and all the possessions of the earth. And so God has inexhaustible resources. He can meet my need, your need, and everybody else's need all at the same time and still have abundance. Now, let me use this opportunity to teach us that God uses natural resources to give to his people, but he also uses human resources to meet the needs of his children. What's your point, Brandon? I bring this up only because we need to realize that we in the church are a family. And family take, takes care of one another. God uses the people of God, the church, to, put, to meet the needs of those in need in the church. That means a couple of things. The implications of that is, on one hand, that means the church needs to be in a position where they can help those in need. I, I promise you I'm not trying to prove a point here. One of the reasons I encouraged us as a church to buy this specific building, though it has size limitations, is I don't want all of our money going into brick and mortar. That is not why God gave the church money. Not to buy big buildings, to build big buildings. Yes, I get the problems. We're going to have to be creative. We serve a creative God. And if we're creating his image, we are creative as well. We'll be creative. We'll figure it out. It'll work out one way or the other. But God gave us resources so that we can take care of one another. So many times in churches that I've been a part of, we haven't been able to help those who had real need because we had to pay the mortgage. We had to pay the light bill, and we had no margin to bless those who were in need. 
One way that Jesus says those will, those we can recognize who are in the kingdom of God, Matthew chapter 25, read it. He says, you, when I was hungry, you fed me. And what a sad reality is of the church that we can't even feed the hungry because we're too, build, too busy building $100 million buildings. God uses, he, he, he created and saved a people for himself called the church. And our job as the church is to love one another well. I've told you this before, and I'm going to keep harping on this and pressing on this until we get it through our thick skulls, that there should not be a need in this church that is not met. Everybody wants to be a New Testament church. In the New Testament church, let me tell you what they did. They were so committed to the kingdom and to the church and to the cause, they said, I'm going to go sell my house. I'm going to go sell my fields, and I'm going to take the proceeds and lay them at the apostles' feet. They, they donated all the proceeds to the church, and the Bible says nobody had need in the community. That's the New Testament church. They made sacrifices. They gave up personal possessions so there was no need in the community. There should never be a need in this community that's unmet. Now, will there be irresponsibility? Yes. And so, yeah, we've got to do some vetting and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get to that later. God uses his church to meet the needs of those in the church. Now, there's, there's corporate responsibility. Let me move on to personal responsibility. When Jesus said here, he says, your heavenly father will give you good gifts. How much more will he give good gifts to those who ask? What we need to lay down at the altar is our pride. One of the reasons there are unmet needs in the church is not because the church doesn't have the resources. It's because the church doesn't know. And the reason the church doesn't know is because you don't ask. You got to lay aside that pride and let us help you. Now, that help is going to look different ways. Sometimes we're going to help you meet whatever the need is. If it's you're behind on your mortgage, we'll help. If you're behind on your light bill, we'll help. But we're also going to say, how do we help keep you out of this predicament in the future? How do we help you become good stewards of what God has blessed you with? And we've got people in this church who do that fairly well, and we can help you. But you've got to let us help you. So that means you've got to ask us. Give us the opportunity to, to live out our responsibility under our king, but also give us, the give us the opportunity to love you well. Nobody likes to be in need. Nobody wants to feel like a beggar. I get that. But God sends certain people through seasons of lack so that he can show himself mighty. So he can show you that I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the God who provides. I am the God who can make a way when it seems like there is no way. God will send seasons like that sometimes. And you miss what God is trying to do in you and for you when you have so much pride and you don't simply ask. 
Okay, let me get back to my manuscript. We see the source. Let me show you the scope of this request. Give us, here it is, this day. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for what they needed for that day. Notice here, Jesus did not teach his disciples to pray for tomorrow's bread. He doesn't teach them to pray for next week's bread or next month's bread. He taught them to pray for today's bread. Why? Because we are to be dependent upon God for daily provision. Friends, there should never be a day where we are not depending on God to provide for us. We also pray for today's bread because we are not to worry about tomorrow. Keep reading through chapter 6. Once you get down to verse 34, this is what Jesus says. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We don't worry about the future because we are to trust the Father to provide for us every day. We pray for daily bread. Listen, I'm not, I don't know if I'm old enough to, to tell y'all this, but let me tell you what one older person said. He said this, I was young and now I'm old, but never have I seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. You missed a good spot to run around this building right now because that means all his life God made a way. All of his life God provided. And so that old man was telling you, trust him. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know what you do tomorrow? You get on your knees and you pray for that day's daily bread. And then the day after tomorrow, you know what you do? You get on your knees and you pray some more. And you trust the Father who is good and who is loving and who is caring and who is kind. You trust him to provide for that day. I've told you this before. I've asked you this before, but I'm going to ask you again until you get it. What does worry fix? Did it change the situation for you? I'm going to let y'all, can I just testify for a moment? I didn't even run this past my wife, but I'm going to testify for you real quick. April, normally April 15th, April 17th came around. Anybody know what that day is? Tax day. Got my taxes done. Took them to the tax man. Huh, I think he's an accountant. He did my taxes. And pastors, we are uh, duly uh, classified. I'm both an employee and self-employed. The reason that matters is because I have to pay self-employment taxes. On one hand, by being an employee of the church, I get a special benefit. It's called a housing allowance, which means that a portion of my salary um, is not taxable because I am a pastor. So a portion, like 60% of my salary, is not taxable. It's the law. You don't like it? <laughs> Your fault. <laughs> However, they say, but we're going to get you back because you're also self-employed, which means that I have to pay 15.3% of my total income 
That whole thing about not being taxable, that's only for federal taxes. Now, when it comes to the self-employment tax, I have to pay 15.3%. Here's why this sucks, because those of you who work for other companies, your company pays half. You pay half. I'm the company and me. So you take my salary, 15.3% of that is what I have to pay to the government, plus whatever else um, if we didn't take enough out for, uh, to pay our federal taxes before. So he gives me the tax bill back. This was actually better than the last two years. Lord, I told my wife that how much we owed, and she shouted. Now, just so you know, our history is we, 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 people don't owe taxes. If you owe taxes, they used to say where I was growing up, if you owe taxes, you're doing them wrong. <laughs> That's what they told us. And so where we come from, you don't owe taxes, you know. So, anyways, I told her how much we owed, and she was thinking of the last years, and so she shouted. Only problem is, I'm self-employed, which means that not only were my federal taxes due from the previous year that were underpaid, but I also owed the first quarter for 2018 self-employment taxes. And then we live in the great state of Kansas, so not only do I have to pay federal taxes, but I also have to pay my state taxes too. Some days I miss taxes. That's another sermon. And here's what happened. We sat down, and we just started writing checks. This is for 2017. Here's the first quarter for 2018 to the federal government. Here's the, here's the next part for uh, the state. And we, and, and we just kept writing checks. And, I, and, Lord, I'm just thinking, Lord, I hope these don't bounce like my son basketball. Just keep writing checks. I'm telling you, in that moment, I'll not say this. In that moment, I was like, Lord, make me a Republican. Lord, all these taxes. <laughs> anyways, now y'all think I'm a Democrat. Uh, so anyways, uh, I'm, we writing all these checks, and, and so they, they were thousands of dollars. And so the month of April, our budget was tight. It, I, I mean, it was, it was tight. Change was strange. Credit wouldn't get it. It was just tight in the Reddick household. My, there it is. Money was funny. It, it, it was just tight. Y'all get that, right? Tight. It, 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 it was tight, man. And y'all go, some of y'all going to say this is coincidence, but right in the nick of time, the church sent me some money that I was due to be reimbursed right in the nick of time. Now, you can say coincidence, I say God. Now, I'm not saying this was God's will, but at that same time, my wife got sick. And so Emily says, I know what it's like to have your your spouse passing out and all that kind of stuff, and you don't know what's happening. Let let me set up meals for you. And so y'all been bringing food to us, a whole lot of food, by the way, Thank you from the bottom of our heart. But guess what that means? That God, while he didn't necessarily increase uh, uh, my, my income, he did decrease my outgo. 
Ooh, I'm about to shout up in here. What God says is, I know, Brandon, that it's tough right now, but you're trusting me. You're doing the best you can. And don't get me wrong. I have my doubts at moments. Let me tell you the truth here. I have my doubts. Lord, what do we do? And, 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 and so I still don't, but, but I had to pray, and I, and I repent. I said, Lord, I'm sorry for not, not trusting you. And what God did was, he says, Brandon, I'm not going to give you more money, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to eliminate the need for you to spend more money so that you don't have to go buy all that high food at Dillon's. And so now people are going bring you food, and guess what? I made a way. And friends, that's the way God works. He works in miraculous ways, and if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. I'm no better than you, but he makes a way. We got to get out of here, but I'm only on my first point. The substance, we ought to pray for daily bread. That means bread here stands it's not just bread specifically, but it stands for everything we need for daily survival. So whatever it is you need, food, water, clothing, shelter, work, intelligence, all the necessities of daily life, Jesus says, bring it to the feet of your heavenly Father. We pray that we have a prayer for provision, but then we also have a prayer for pardon. He says, forgive us our debts. Friends, not only are we to ask for physical needs, but we must also ask for spiritual needs. Friends, I know you woke, you came in here today thinking maybe your greatest need is more money, more intelligence, a better job, world peace, more technology. That's not our greatest need. Our greatest need is forgiveness. Every person stands condemned before a holy God. And we live under the curse of sin that leads to death. This is why you've got to understand about this part of the prayer. In the Roman Empire, people were not jailed and put in prison just for breaking the crimes, whatever the, the law was, for breaking laws. They would also be put in jail because of unpaid debts. They didn't just send you to a collection agency. They didn't just say, this gonna hurt, we're going to hurt you by sending this to a collection agency and it's going to decrease your credit score. No, 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 no. When you had unpaid debts, they would put you into prison. So for you to have debt was a matter of life and death. You know, I just said something. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I need to go preach this in Congress. <laughs> Y'all will get that later. And so when Jesus here says, forgive us our debts, he's saying the sin that you committed, when you committed that sin, you incurred a debt to God. Because what God is owed is holiness. And what we paid him or gave him was sin. And so, whew, Jesus says, what you need to pray for then is forgiveness. See, the reason you're not shouting right now, because when you think forgiveness, you think you just stop feeling bad or stop holding something against somebody. No, when, in the Bible, that word forgive means to counsel the debt. 
when you for, were forgiven, Jesus counseled the debt that you owe to God. That's why he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Tetelestai means debt counseled. The debt that you owe to God has been counseled in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he says, pray, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Friends, as the worship team sang to us, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And somebody here needs to know that the Father is still standing here with open arms to counsel the debt that you owe him. He's a forgiving God. Everyone in here needs forgiveness. No exceptions. Now let me make something very clear as we move forward. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray this prayer, forgive us. They're already followers of Christ. So then this means that this prayer is not a prayer or a petition for forgiveness that leads to salvation. Why is this a big deal? I think one of the implications that Jesus' teaching is in this prayer is that prayer is to at least be a daily discipline of the believer. How do I know that? Because he said, give us this day. And if we're only to worry about, or be concerned about today and not tomorrow, that means when tomorrow comes, you're going to have to ask for that day's bread too. And so as believers, I think Jesus is saying, as he's teaching us to pray, is as far as your habit is, it needs to be daily. If we were to pray every day, forgive us, and that was a prayer that, lead to sal that led to salvation, that would mean that we could lose our salvation multiple times. Problem with that is that's heretical. It's out of line with the full teaching of Scripture. Remember what we said the last couple of weeks is there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Friends, you cannot out the love of God. Thank you. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. So then, we can't lose our salvation. Yeah, yeah. Once saved, always saved. If somebody started out saved, they said they ain't saved no more, the Bible says they were never saved. And the only reason that it's coming up now that, that they say they're not saved anymore is because God was showing proof that they were never saved. It may have been some emotional reaction, or maybe they just did it for mama or for daddy or somebody else, but it wasn't a real deal. So this is not a prayer for us to be forgiven so that we can be saved or accepted into the family of God. Remember that Jesus just taught us that, that we, ought to, we need to be forgiven our debts because every day our flesh is still at work and our flesh gets the best of us and we still sin. And what sin does for the believer is it breaks fellowship between us. And so what we need to do is we need to be reconciled. But you can't be reconciled unless you are first forgiven. 
And so this is a prayer for restoration of fellowship between the believer and God. Forgive us our debts. Here's the hard part. As we forgive our debtors. Quick observation. As we forgive debtors, the focus is not, it's, the focus is on the person, not the actual debt. When we look at this word as, forgive us our debt as we forgive those, you can, if you, one way to interpret that is, is based on time. Uh, while I am forgiving others, forgive me. But I think this conjunction as here more means uh, comparatively. In other words, forgive me like I forgive others. Mm. So those of you who, so some of, the t- some of the times this is what we'll say, I forgive you, but I ain't going to forget it. Which, by the way, there's some things you're just not going to forget. And God allows you to remember some of those bad things that have happened to you so that you can use them for a testimony. But he'll also let you not forget certain things that have happened so that you can be wise and know, I ain't going to let this happen again. But who are you withholding forgiveness from? You are part of a family now. And God says, I want my family to be on right terms with one another. Forgiveness is such a big deal that Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar and first go be reconciled to your brother. In other words, to to give a gift at the altar was a form of worship. God teaches us that our worship is not authentic if we are harboring bitterness and unforgiveness against our brother and sister in Christ. How do you get into the kingdom of God? The king had to forgive your debt. And so the king expects that those who he has forgiven to forgive others. Because as you forgive others, that is proof that you are starting to grasp the depth of your debt that you owe to God. That you are unable to pay to God. Forgive us our debt as we forgive those who trespass, as we forgive our debt to us. Lead us not into temptation. So we have the prayer for protection. We have, a, uh, excuse me, we have the prayer for provision, the prayer for pardon. Now we have a prayer for protection. This is a prayer. God, don't lead us into temptation. The challenge that we have with this is that word temptation. The reason it's a ta- challenge is because in the original language, the same Greek word can be interpreted temptation and testing. So it's either lead us not into temptation or lead us, don't lead us into testing. So how do we determine what it means? Context. In the Gospels, that word is normally only translated as temptation. Same word that's used in Matthew 4 when Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The only other, the other time this word is used in the Gospels is when uh, it's used of what the Jews do when they try Jesus. 
the outcome that they are seeking is a negative outcome. They want to discredit him as being the Messiah and a false prophet. So whatever uh, Matthew is talking about here, it has a negative connotation to it. Lead us not in temptation. Here's, what, here's the challenge that we have with this, because we're praying this to God, which means that some may interpret this to, interpret this to mean that God will tempt us. This is why Jesus is teaching, lead us not into temptation. Bad theology. Why? Here's what the Bible says in James chapter number one again. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why? For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Why can God not be tempted? Because he's holy. God has no sin nature. Sin is not attractive to God. Sin is not enticing to God. God cannot be tempted. Why? Because God is self-sufficient and self-satisfied. The reason we can be tempted is because we feel like there's something that we're missing out on. There is something that we feel like will bring us more pleasure. But that's not the case with God because God is self-sufficient. There is nothing that God is missing out on. So he cannot be tempted. Why does God not tempt us? Because he's good. So Jesus is not teaching them to pray for God not to tempt them because God does not tempt. But we must also understand that Jesus is also not teaching his disciples to pray for for them to avoid being tested by God. Temptation means that we are being enticed to do something that's going to lead to sin. Testing is God proving what we are. Does God test his children? You better believe it. Genesis chapter 2, here's how it opens. And God tested Abraham. Told him, go and sacrifice your son, the only son of promise. In other words, go lay him on the altar and kill him for me. Matthew chapter 4, it was the Holy Spirit, God, that led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. In James chapter 1, we are told to count it all joy when we fall into various trials or testing. Will God test us? Yes. Why? To prove our faith and bring us to maturity. Therefore, Jesus cannot be teaching his disciples to pray to avoid being tested by God. So then what is Jesus teaching his disciples to pray? They would have understood this to mean don't let us yield to temptation. Don't let us succumb to temptation. In other words, this is a prayer for strength in the midst of temptation. It's not a prayer to be kept from trials and temptation. Rather, it is a prayer to be kept in the midst of trials. And temptation. Friends, this is a prayer of total dependence on God for the power to overcome temptation. And the reason we can pray this prayer with confidence is because we know that no temptation has overtaken man, that he is not coming to man, that God is faithful and he will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure.
So then we ought to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a definite article there in front of evil in the original language. In other words, here's how it reads. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Why? Why does this matter? Because it's not just evil that we need deliverance from. It's the evil one that we need deliverance from. The biggest trick of the enemy is for him to convince us that he's not real, that he doesn't exist, and that he is just simply a figment of our imagination. But Jesus, who was the embodiment of truth, who is the truth and means he can only speak the truth, himself taught us that Satan is real and hell is real. And so who are we to disbelieve it? And knowing that we have a real enemy and that that enemy has a kingdom and he has forces at his disposal, we need to stay on our knees in prayer saying, Lord, deliver us from this evil one. God has given us power to overcome every temptation because this is what God's word says. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Pray on, church.